0: Good morning it is great to be with you although not in person we're back to online and in fact we can probably call this a bit of a four-part hopefully only four-part mini online series here at BRBC so welcome um, to BRBC this morning my name's Ben I'm one of the staff team here at BRBC and it's great that we can get together in a roundabout way in this format this morning Welcome if this is your first time watching as well, particularly, and we'd love to hear from you. Do get in contact with us via our email at contact at We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to help you get plugged in in the various ways that we can at this moment in time. That does look different from how it did this time last year, but there's still ways you can get involved. There's still ways you can be plugged in. There's still ways um, that we, you can be part of the community here at BRBC. So please get in contact. Great stuff. So I'm just going to hand over to Lydia, Glenn's wife, who's going to do our Bible reading for us today.
1: Hello. Today, our reading is going to be from Psalm 88. So I'll just give you a moment to find that in your Bibles. Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music, according to Mahalath Leonov, a maskil of Heman the Ezraite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me, your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. I'm thankful that we'll still be able to meet together, albeit online. We're together. And if we've not met before, my name's James, and I'm one of the pastors here at BRBC. Now, on to this morning. If you cast your minds back to the beginning of this year, We started with a series called Psalms for Every Season. And we spent five or six Sundays looking at various Psalms. And the whole idea was to show how Psalms really do give us words to say, places to stand, things to say. to think about in every season we find ourselves in. And I remember thinking at the end of this series, at the beginning of the year, if I just had a couple more Sundays, there would be a few more Psalms I would like to touch on and study through. And one of those was Psalm 88. Now, fortunately, a Sunday has opened up, a couple of Sundays to be able to look. And I look again at some bits of the Bible, some passages that I wanted to look at, and we can look at this this morning. I want to look at psalm, 30, uh, psalm 88 today. Now this is mysterious and it's honest. It's enigmatic and it's realistic. Now what makes this psalm unique is that it is really, really dark. What's unique about this is the, the, the utter depth of the darkness in this psalm. The word dark or darkness is mentioned three times, and it seems as though the author is enduring some really profound misery. And the focus is on the fact that the author feels as though he's going through a dark time with little hope of relief. He's feeling the weight, the burden, and the exhausting experience of this darkness in his mind, in his heart, in his soul. And in and through his circumstances. Now, in many ways, Psalm 88 is quite uncomfortable to read. I wonder if you feel that. You know, maybe you're an optimist, and so you want to keep everything chipper, everything happy, everything positive. And so when you read this stuff, it makes you squirm a little bit because it seems so bleak. Or or maybe this is uncomfortable because it, it feels like we're intruding on someone's personal and profound pain and it it just feels like we're invading on something that should be quite private shouldn't it Or, or maybe this is uncomfortable because we expect the bible to be just a little bit more hopeful i mean this psalm is bleak it's dark i mean there isn't even a thread of hope is there shouldn't the bible have a little bit more hope about it i mean why is psalm 88 in here Well, this morning, in a strange way, this Psalm does make us uncomfortable, but let's explore the darkest of all the Psalms, famously described as the darkest corner in the Psalter. But by staring into the author's misery here, we will find some incredible lessons about how we can navigate those hard and dark times in our own lives. So what does this Psalm teach us about dark times? I mean, how does Psalm 88 help us navigate the hard circumstances, the dark emotions and seasons of life that we find ourselves in? So here's what I want to look at this morning. As we study Psalm 88, I want to understand it. So I understand the darkness. I want to explore the darkness, and I want to direct the darkness. And in each of those, I want to ask, want to ask a question. So we understand it. What's the darkness like? We'll explore it what happens to us in darkness, and then we'll direct it. Where should we go in darkness? So let's jump in, and the first of those, let's understand it. What is the darkness like? What is the darkness like? And Now, you'll see at the top of this psalm right here, even above verse 1, We get this wonderful description which is sometimes present in psalms helps us understand the situation who the author is and right here we read a song a psalm of the sons of korah to the choir master according to the mahalaf leonoth a maskil of heman heman the Ezraite. you're thinking hang on a second this psalm was written by a fictional cartoon superhero you learn something new every day well no same name, different guy, of course. Well, Heman or Haman is a well-known guy in the Bible, and there's loads of references to him in the days of King David and King Solomon. And we find in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles all kinds of things about him. He's great in wisdom. He has great musical ability. He's, uh, he has many exceptional sons and daughters who are incredibly gifted. And he's in service to the king. So, so he's wise, he's talented, he's accomplished. And he is a blessed man. But what's happening in his life? I mean, what's making him describe his situation and his emotions with such darkness? I mean, it's really hard to determine exactly what's going on, but we are given some details and we do have some clues So let's try and piece some things together. Firstly, what we see in here is that he feels abandoned by God. Have a look at verses 1 and 2 here. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. So this is a song, and it's a desperate kind of a prayer. Jump down to verses 6 and 7. You get this sense of abandonment here. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark and the deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with your waves. Throughout this psalm, we get the sense that this author feels like they've been abandoned by God. Secondly, the clues we're seeing here is that they feel uh, abandoned or the loss of their friends and loved ones, his loved ones. Look at at verse 8 here. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Look at verse 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My my companions have become as darkness. So abandoned by God, at least they feel it. Abandoned by friends and loved ones. And it seems as though the author's facing death. At least the reality of his own mortality. Have a look at here in verses 3, 4, and 5. For my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead. I am slain, I'm like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You see this language of feeling as though he's been abandoned, but also the language of seems to be nearing death. Now that might be an illness, he might be growing old, but that seems to be the situation. And all of this results in finally an internal darkness, and a sense of hopelessness. Jump forward again, but look at verse 15. Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. So so what we have here is some real life struggles and some deep, dark, emotional intensity. Now here's what's amazing about this psalm, and and of course like so many of the psalms, is that this psalm 88 is, is very broadly meeting us In many different ways circumstances and situations I mean like the author we too can go through times in our lives where God feels like he's a million miles away or or when life is unfathomably or impossibly heavy and we would clearly describe the emotion we feel in those times as dark I mean the bleak situations that we may go through can be wildly different but we use the same descriptive word. It feels dark right now. I mean, if I said to you, life can be dark sometimes, can't it? Just about every single head watching would nod. Oh, that's exactly the word I would use, you might say. That's the word I was used to explain the time I went through or the time I'm in right now. No better word describes how I feel or how I felt. It's dark. You see what I mean? This psalm meets us in a range of circumstances. I mean, that sense and this emotion can be what we feel in all manner of hardships in our lives, can't it? I mean, think about some of the things we go through. Don't we experience grief? I mean, loss of a loved one. I mean, have we been there before? I mean, I hear it's supposed to get better at some point, but it doesn't seem to be. It still hurts. Our kids can break our hearts into more pieces than we ever thought possible. Marriage (laughs) can build us up, but it can also feel like a never-ending dim winter. Money struggles can take people into some of the the deepest and miserable valleys. Abuse in all of its forms is, is tragic and it's sinister. Bullying can take someone to the bleakest of places and a prolonged injustice against us or against others can feel like the lights of hope have been turned out. Or or mental health struggles can make life dark like nothing else. What about cancer? The reminder of the broken world we live in has ushered many families into a sunless season. Betrayal can put the dimmer on the bright lights of our emotions. Growing old is full of struggles, isn't it? Everything from feeling overwhelmed to worrying and thinking about whether people value you. It's a hard season. Spiritual doubt can feel like we're in a dank cave of despondency. What about the shadows of unanswered prayer can provoke our questions? What about the debilitating impact of COVID-19 on our world, on the people around us, on our own lives? It's been a dark year. And then, of course, sometimes for no reason whatsoever, we feel that heavy weight of hopelessness, and we know not why. Now in all of those, and I could describe even more, we know something of the description of this psalm, how it finishes. Darkness is my only friend. It feels like I am slowly crawling along the unlit, unending, and winding path, and I'm trembling. I'm, I'm feeling my way as I go, and the one ounce of Hope that I thought I had is scarcely now an ember. I don't know where to turn. I feel abandoned and I feel lonely. All I've got left is darkness. Darkness really is my only friend. Now I think at this point, there's a handful of things we can determine here in understanding this psalm. Firstly, the darkness. It happens to Christians too. I mean, look at the beginning of this psalm. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. This is written by someone who knows God as his savior. And yet he too is going through this. You know, just because we belong to the ruler, the overseer, and the commander of the universe, King Jesus, doesn't mean that we're immune from the darkness that we can go through as people. Now, now if you're not a Christian this morning, tuning in, And you're wondering what it means to follow Jesus. I want to get these expectations straight. I want you to see. Look, if you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that you'll be vaccinated from everything dark and painful. You see, to follow Jesus means you get Jesus. Not as a replacement to the darkness, but as a savior in and through the darkness. But to follow Jesus means that we get him. To follow Jesus means that through, by faith and repentance, we have thrown ourselves upon Him for mercy. We know that we have fallen short. We know that we're sinners. We see that we have fallen so far short of God's righteous standards, there is no answer within ourselves. And so we run to Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, Jesus Himself. And we get Jesus, not as a replacement to the darkness, though. We have a Savior in and through the darkness. The second thing we can determine in understanding this is that the darkness can be long. You see this psalm, how it finishes. It finishes in the Hebrew and in the ESV right here with the word darkness. Darkness is my only friend. A lot of other psalms where we read about these these very deep places of struggle, they usually finish or somewhere contain a ray of hope Some kind of a statement about God being their hope. But Psalm 88 doesn't have that. It finishes on a dark note. So that leads us to believe that this darkness can go on a while. Maybe we know that. You know, there will be times where the deserts of despair and the wastelands of hopelessness are there for a very long time. When it feels like the fog of the despondency won't lift. And we'll go another few paces and hopefully there'll be some sunlight But the fog just seems to keep going and there's no change. And then also what we can determine here is that the darkness, it's lonely. I mean, scan your eyes over some of the emotions we're reading from this author they all communicate a sense of abandonment, a sense of loneliness, abandoned from people, and he feels abandoned by God. In verse 14, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Now, is the abandonment this author feels, is that real? Well, no, because the psalmist knows God as his salvation, and we know That even though it feels like it, sometimes God doesn't abandon his people. He might feel that's the case, but it's not the reality. Okay, so we've begun to understand the darkness. Now let's explore it by asking a question What happens to us in darkness? Now, now, often in those dark places, we find ourselves saying, it really feels like there is no point to this. I think that's what he's asking in verses 11 and 12. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave and your faith, or your faithfulness in evident?" he's kind of saying, is, is there any point to this? Is this just a waste of time? How can this be any good whatsoever? How can it lead to good? How can I be shaped, grown, and transformed by this hard time? I would much rather it another way. But here's the painful and helpful truth. We learn the deepest things about our God in the deepest valleys in life. I have to say that again, we need that. We learn the deepest things about our God in the deepest valleys in life. We we, we come closer to knowing who He is by walking through the valleys of affliction. I think there's a couple of things we can learn. Just for starters, firstly, you learn about God's understanding in the dark times. Derek Kidner, author and commentator, writes this about Psalm 88. He said, The very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. You see what he's saying? The fact that Psalm 88 exists in the Bible tells us, it shows us, it's testimony, it's a witness to God's understanding this shows us because this is in the Bible that we have a God who knows I wonder if at any point in your life you've experienced the comfort of someone else understanding what you're going through not not just somebody who stands way off and wishes, prays for you, wishes that it would be a little bit better for you, but somebody who knows and understands. I think back to a time when I was 16 years old. It was my first stay in hospital. And I'd gone on holiday with my friend and his family, and the holiday was awesome. Gone to an island in the Mediterranean. It was so much further than I'd ever traveled before. The water was blue, just like I had grown up seeing in like the travel books and and everything. The, 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 The food was amazing, the culture was so different, the beaches were incredible. It was such a great time, but towards the end of the holiday, I started to get really, really unwell. So much so, they took me down to the doctor. I was kind of in and out of consciousness. They whisked me off the hospital, um, gave me antibiotics and, some uh, fluids and IVs, and, and to try and get me back to health. But I, I can remember that evening, I kind of came to my senses a little bit more. And, and it was the middle of the night, I think, uh, probably about two or three in the morning, and I felt the loneliness of the situation just cave in. My friend and his family weren't allowed to be be there. I was the only person on the entire ward. There were no lights on. It was pitch black. And occasionally you would have uh, a nurse coming along. I didn't understand their language. They didn't speak English. I just felt so, so lonely. I looked around and saw a telephone not too far away. So I grabbed the telephone. And the only number I could think to call in the middle of all of this was a family friend. Some of you have met him before. He's been to church a couple of times. Neville, he's like, my thir- he's like a third granddad to me, if you will. And I called his number and I heard a groggy voice. It was the middle of the night. Uh, hello, what's going on? And, and it, was, it was me, of course, just in pieces at the end. I, I was so upset, I could barely get my words out. Ne- Neville, this is just so awful. I'm on my own. I feel so lonely. I, I'm so ill. I'm miles away from home and no one's here. And Neville just stopped and listened. You can see he was just thinking. And all he said were the words is, I've been there before, I I know. And, And I can't tell you, I can't really put into words how comforting it was to hear somebody say that they understood, that they know. Now that was over several thousand miles distance and over the phone. But the beauty is, and Psalm 88 shows us, is that we have a God who understands. A God that we can go to, a God who knows, a God himself who has walked through the darkness that we walk through. Isn't that why Hebrews chapter 4 calls Jesus our sympathetic great high priest? He's the one who's walked in our shoes. He's the one who's lived in our skin. He's the one who's been through what we've been through. And he knows how we speak when we are desperate. You know, when we turn to the Bible when times are dark, we find people who have walked through darkness, but we also find a God who understands, who hears, who listens, who knows. Psalm 88 shows us this. second thing we learn is we're transformed by this, is, is we learn how to know God. Now that might seem like a strange thing to say, but, but let me explain here. Heman is... Uh, he hasn't been like this his whole life, even though he says it. You know, verse 15, 15 he says, afflicted close, close to death from my youth up. it has been like this all my life. But we know that's not true because <laughs> we look back at the other passage passages and his life wasn't always dark. It so kind of shows me something. As he, he's using these Job like words, he's, using, he's learning a Job like lesson. He's learning how to relate with God properly. Or better put he's learning how to know God more deeply. Now, now I often have conversations with people about what it means to follow Jesus. Being a pastor means that people want to talk about it and that it's great to be able to do that but sometimes people will say uh, along the lines of oh James it, it seems like him upstairs is, is looking out for me I guess I would better come to church or, or some, something amazing has happened in my life and I think God must be after me It's good to be able to talk about that, but I think in that moment, their logic is something like, I'll come to God because of what he gives me or has given me. And and the truth is, in many streams of Christianity today, people seem to think that God owes them a prosperous life, free from suffering, pain, or loss. And if we can be really honest with ourselves, we often say this, don't we? Even in our day-to-day experience in our lives, this is often how we think and we operate. We, we probably don't think it or even know it, but often we bring a very contractual or business-like way to relate with God. He gives me good times and happiness, and then I'll follow him. But I'll follow him as only as it stays good. That seems like a good trade. It seems like a good deal to me. That's how this is gonna work. But the thing is, hard times, dark times, shatter that thinking. Because in hard times, we're faced with the reality of who God is, not just what he gives. Hard times strip away the, the shaky foundations of our business-like thinking and leave us with nothing but the character of God himself. In, in those times, we're, it's like God asks us a question. You have me for what I give when the circumstances are good and bright. But will you have me for who I am? You know when we're left with all when we're left with who God is do we stay or do we run when the lights of the happy days go out we find what we're really resting on Now if our relationship with God is based upon our circumstances and what he gives our relationship with him will be dictated by how good our day is or what circumstances we're in But if our relationship with God is based upon who he who he is then we will have found something far deeper, more stabilizing, and more enduring. You see, it's in the dark times we find the root of the Christian life, where we know God not just as a gift giver, but as a gift in and of himself. I'll describe to you what I mean here. A few years ago, I had a catch-up with one of my old friends. Me and my family were living in Chicago at the time, and I hadn't seen this friend in a long time. So he said, I'm coming through Chicago. I, I want to spend the afternoon with you, and I was more than happy to do that. So cleared the schedule, uh, went and got a coffee with him, and we sat down in one of the most beautiful parks in the city, found a bench, and just spent hours catching up. And, and it eventually came around to talking to uh, what his life had been like over the last few years. And it, loads, of, loads and loads of things had changed. And one of the big things he wanted to talk about was how he met his wife. So he took me through how he met her, the dating process, his elaborate engagement plan, and how the engagement went, and then on to the wedding day and the family and what was it like, the color schemes, the lot. And, and, and then he says, hey, uh, we've been married for three or four years now, and it's been quite a journey dating was amazing engagement was amazing first few months of marriage were amazing and then it started to get difficult because i realized that i was bringing a a kind of a transaction understanding to this where i kind of thought you make me happy and give me this I'll make you happy by giving you this. You make me satisfied, I'll make you satisfied. And that's how this marriage is going to work. But he says, of course, when you get married, you suddenly put two sinners under one roof. We can't satisfy each other deep down in the ways we thought we could. So things started to get unhealthy and difficult. He says, and I realized I was treating this like a transaction. It's like I was treating the relationship like a deal or a trade but it was going to be miserable and unhealthy if that's how this was going to go on. And he said, no, I had to come to a place where I threw that transaction away. And I had to say to my wife, look, I'm in this and I'm going to love you, not because of what you give, but because of who you are and what marriage is supposed to mean. I mean, this this makes a relationship far more stable, doesn't it? Because it's not grounded upon that contract or that transaction. You give me this, I'll give you this, and then we're happy. But it moves to a place where you say, I love you because of what marriage means, and I endeavor to do you, go- you good regardless of what you give me. This is the transfer- transformational moment for him in his marriage, and indeed any marriage. It makes a couple inseparable, secure, and stable. And think about darkness. When darkness comes our way, it removes us from this transaction way of thinking and into a spiritual place that is not dependent upon what we get or what we give. Now the strange and subversive beauty about our darkness is that when everything is stripped away, we're left with God himself and nothing else. Darkness causes us to be faced with the reality of who God is and not only what he does or doesn't give, And in that space, we are spiritually transformed as we grab a hold of God because we have little or nothing else. There's no other way to know God like this. In the darkness, we can know him like never before. I wonder, if you ever met somebody who's come to that place? The way they think, the way they pray, the way they treat other people always makes me stop and watch them. I mean, they don't deal with trivial things anymore. They're not cynical or naive. They're realistic. They're contented with very little. They don't do gossip. They listen differently and carefully. They seem to have this superpower in understanding other people. They become unflappable and sturdy. And their life has moved from being about circumstances to finding rest in who God is himself. Their faith has been purified in the furnace of life's fragilities. And they have been turned into a diamond under that pressure. Now the truth is we learn the deepest things about God in the deepest valleys in life. We come closer to knowing who he is by walking through affliction. Okay, that's exploring it. And then lastly, let's direct it. Where should we go in darkness? I love what Charles Spurgeon says about verse one. Verse one reads, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Verse two, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. Spurgeon says, the the only ray of comfortable light which shines throughout the psalm is in this verse. The writer has salvation. He's sure of that. And God is the sole author of it. His Spurgeon says, "While while a man can see God as his savior, it's not altogether midnight with him. So where do we go as we direct the darkness? Well, same place as this psalmist. We go to the Savior. We go to Jesus when it's dark. Okay then. What do we find when we go to Jesus? Let's look at two things. We find the darkness of the cross. On the cross, Jesus went through darkness. Darkness. Let me read a little bit about what happened. Luke 23, it was now the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. See, Jesus endured the wrath of God, the darkness of that for us. He went through the darkness for us. He was lonely. He felt abandoned. And there was no light. Darkness really was to him his only friend. And he was taking the ultimate darkness that we deserved. Jesus took our sin. Jesus experienced our darkness as his only friend. So that we could know God as our friend and never be abandoned. Now you see Jesus not only knows our darkness but he's gone through the very worst of our darkness so that we can have light on the other side of our darkness. Now, here's a key truth you have to know. If you don't know Jesus this morning, this life is as light as it will ever be. But if you do know Jesus and you're leaning in on him for his grace and his mercy and his salvation, then this life is as dark as it will ever be. It's through the utter and deepest darkness of the cross that we find a path to the light of salvation. Second thing we find when we go to Jesus, we find that our darkness is not final. Now, If Jesus is your savior this morning, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, even if you can't see it. I mean, you might not see it. And you might not feel it. But if Jesus is your savior, then the fog one day will lift. We can guarantee that. You know, sometimes people ask me, James, I, I wonder if God is going to take this away. I wonder, wonder if God's going to make this problem any lighter. I mean, will this pain go away one day? Will this go? Psalms like this cause me to say, well, I, I can't make that promise, can I? I can't make any promises now. We'll pray for it, trusting he's a good God and he does give good gifts and we'll go to him together. But there is definitely something I can promise that this is not final. And I can promise you that. The unrelenting slog will be over and rest will be yours. When when I think about hard lives, I often think about my granddad. And he, he had it difficult, I think. You know, at the age of 14, he'd finished school. His family didn't have the money to send him on to further education. And so he had a choice, either become a builder or a farmer. So he became a farmer and then worked a back-breaking job until he retired. And then he got polio, and polio ravaged his body. So he spent the rest of his life with an incredibly painful disability and yet carried on in his work. And then at home, grandma's mental health issues and that it was really hard even when he got home. I kind of look back on his life and just think that was chronic pain at every turn. But towards the end of his life, I was confident that he had found a hope in Jesus. It was a simple faith, but it was a real faith. And he had this hope that the miserable slog of his life would one day be at an end, and he would have relief, and he would be with Jesus. And one of my granddad's favorite poems was written by Thomas Gray, it's called Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard. And what Thomas Gray does, or it seems, is he, he sits in this little church graveyard and looks at the, uh, the gravestones. And he imagines the lives of these little-known people who had worked long and hard in the surrounding area. He imagines the pain and the toil and the hard work. But also he imagines the rest at the end of the day that they could have. Now I think my granddad loved this poem because he felt understood that it was hard and long during the days, but at the end, there was a rest and the rest would be beautiful. I'll I'll just pick a couple of stanzas from this. The curfew tolls the knell of parting day. The lowing herd winds slowly over the lay. The plowman homeward plods his weary, weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me. Now fades the glimmering landscape on the sight, and all the air a solemn stillness holds, save where the beetle wields his droning flight, and drowsy tinklings lull the distant folds. I'll jump down. For them, no more the blazing hearth shall burn, or busy housewife ply her evening care, or children run to lisp their sire's return, and climb his knee the envied kiss to share i I love that beautiful poem the heartache the toil the plowman plods his way home but over and onto that rest at the end of the day at the end of the slog and the pains of life there is a rest and i'm confident my granddad loved loved the thought of an unburdened eternity now for those who are in christ we must know that the dark times of our lives do not have the final word So we don't give up because the best is yet to come. And this psalm adds its voice to the groaning of Romans chapter 8 and forbids us to accept the present order as final. Whether you see it or not, there is light at the end of the tunnel and the dingy and dim tunnels that you have walked in this life will one day be a distant memory. Now Psalm 88 assures us of what is true. The Psalms really do have a psalm for every single season, from the bright and brilliant days to the dark days, too. This psalm, the darkest corner of the Psalter, we descend about as low as we can go, and yet even there we find our hope is most certainly in God. See, we've found today by staring into this author's misery that we will find some incredible lessons about how to navigate hard and dark times in our own lives. Haman's heartbreaking homily provides us with help when it's dark, when darkness does seem to be our closest friend. Now, why don't we pray together right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see some of these truths in the darkest times in our lives. Lord, we pray you'd help us to understand it and to have the right expectations. Lord, we pray that as we explore it, you would grow us in and through the heartache and afflictions. And then when it feels like the lights have gone out, would you help us to direct it, to go to Jesus and through the cross and all of its darkness, to find the light of salvation. Even when darkness really feels like our closest friend Show us the light of Jesus. Help us, Father, in the dark times to run headlong into your open arms of salvation. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been really, really good to be together this morning. As we go, in our dark times, may we run into the arms of Jesus and know the light of who he is and his salvation. Go in peace, saints.